www.legacychurchsc.org. And so uh, you can catch up because uh, I just want to be able to spring off that without spending a lot of review time to uh, talk on another aspect or another theme of vision. If you have your uh, Bibles, go ahead and find the book. It's going to take you just a moment. Those of you that have thumb tabs, you'll find it easier. Habakkuk. Ha <laughs> ha, I gotcha. Turn to the book of Habakkuk. It's just a small little book. Uh, if you go backwards from Malachi in the Old Testament, you only have to go back four or five books to get to Habakkuk. And uh, find chapter 2 of that small book. And I'm going to be reading just a couple of verses in chapter 2, verse 2 and verse 3. And uh, vision is what we're talking about. Vision is such a critical concept. If you want a successful future, if you want to be able to hit the target in certain areas of your life, if you want to be able to enjoy victory as a believer, and even as us as a church, if we want to achieve a a success, if we want to go forward in the things and the will of God, we need to have vision. And I think vision is more than just a one Sunday deal, but it's something we need to dwell on perhaps a couple of Sundays. If you can't see your future, I want everyone to say, I need, one more time, I need to see my preferable future. Now that's the definition of vision. But seeing the vision, which is what we dealt with last week, seeing the vision is only a part of it. And we have to begin to understand how these things we see come to pass. And so... Uh, I entitled the message, in fact, as we were praying this morning, uh, I was just kind of mulling over the words that I was going to share with you today, and the Spirit of God began to speak to me through that uh, early morning prayer time today, and the Spirit of God says, change your title to how bad do you want it? I was going to talk about the passion of vision, but I decided to change it to how bad do you want it? In Habakkuk 2, beginning with verse 2, this is what we read. It says, Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets, that he may run who reads it. That's the critical phrase in this verse. He, that he, who, that he may run who reads it. Verse 3, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, But at the end it will speak, and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. And the message I've just simply entitled, in fact I believe the Spirit of God really entitled it, How Bad Do You Want It? The prophet Habakkuk is what they call a minor prophet. Now he's only minor because his writings really aren't very long. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, these guys were what they called major prophets because they wrote almost, you could say, voluminously. But Habakkuk, they say, is a minor prophet, but some of the things he shares aren't minor. As a matter of fact, Habakkuk ministered in an incredibly difficult time. All of the players on the world stage, Babylon, Assyria, Persia, all the other nations on the world stage are beginning to increase in power. Israel, as you know, had divided into a northern and into a southern kingdom. Out of this division, they will eventually fall and the Jews will be dispersed and they will be scattered. 
Habakkuk is ministering in the southern kingdom, which is known to be Judah. Judah will be the last of all the nations to fall, uh, of, the, of the divided kingdom to fall, uh, because along the way it had enough sense to get itself right on occasion. Uh, the northern kingdom, Israel, they just continually had bad kings. They continually worshipped idols. They continually were stiff-necked to the ways of God. And they fell 150 years before the southern kingdom did. The southern kingdom had some good kings, some reformer kings that showed up. And because of that, it stayed the hand of God's judgment. Whenever I talk about that or have opportunity to preach about that, I'm always reminded that America doesn't have to go down the tubes. That there can be a covenant of salt in the earth and we can literally stay the hand of judgment. Now, there may be a day America finally comes to the end and God says it's over and it's done. But we have a responsibility to do what we can in order to present to him righteousness. In order that that hand of his could be stayed from judgment. So Habakkuk is one of the players in the southern kingdom. Watching all the enemies increase in strength around his nation. He's the forefront prophet prophesying with regards to the ways of God and the things of God. And, and he doesn't realize that they're just really a few years from falling into the captivity that even the southern kingdom will enter into. And so Habakkuk has this pressure on him as a, as a man of God, as a servant of the Lord. He's got outside pressures from these nations that are seeking to take over his nation. And then he's got these internal pressures because he's dealing with a people that are, are beginning to turn away from God and they don't want anything to do with the ways of the Lord. And so there's all sorts of turmoil that's going on inside of the nation. And yet the Lord speaks to Habakkuk and in the midst of all of this upheaval, the Lord tells the people through the prophet these words. He says, write the vision, make it plain, because when others read it, it will cause them to run. I started to think about that, that they would literally read these things on parchment or tablets. And when they read it, it would cause them to run. Now, we can only guess why, but my guess is because they're excited. See, I grew up, a few of you will, re will remember this because you grew up in circles similar to mine. Trace and I grew up in the old holiness movement. And I can remember years ago, you'd go to camp meeting and maybe the evangelist would begin to preach and he'd get excited about something and, and he'd begin to just get all worked up. And the glory would begin to drop. God's presence would come in. You could sense the excitement in the room. And all of a sudden, somebody would stand up. And in our circles, they'd get him a hanky. And they'd start to running. Anybody grow up in a church like that? Like this is me? There's about three of us right there. Four of us. I know, some of you are saying, you have got to be kidding me. No, 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 no. That's the circles. It was the old camp meeting type of thing. They'd start running and just hooting, woo! And you know, they'd just be twirling that hanky around. Hanky wavers, we call them. But they were excited. And when they got excited, they just got up and started to run. We had a, a gentleman in the church we were at in Spartanburg. He was an old-time, what we would call an old-time Pentecostal. And he'd get excited, pastor would be preaching, and maybe he'd get excited, and all of a sudden, his name, I don't even know if he's living anymore, his name was Bud Brock. And B brother Bud Brock, he'd stand up, and man, he'd start running. Now, even in an in evangel, that was a, 
a, a different thing because many of the people had never seen anything like that. But those of us that had that background, we, we knew Bud. And we used to say, well, it was a good service today because it tilted the Bud Brock meter. So it was a great day. But when, but when people would hear something or see something, they would get excited about it. And, and, and so it's important to understand that vision, vision is not subject to the upheaval or the turmoil you may be facing externally or internally. Vision is not subject to the economy. Vision is not subject to what party is in power. Who's in the White House? Who controls the Senate? Who controls the House of Representatives? Vision is not subject to these earthly matters. In fact, a case can be made that the most important time to have vision is when you're facing adversity. Because when you see your preferable future, when you see what it is that God is calling you to and drawing you to and has put inside of you, when you can begin to see this thing clearly again, it can ignite you, it can even reignite you to your passion and to your excitement maybe that you once had for it. Because without passion for vision, all you'll ever have is a wish. Well, you say, well, pastor, explain to me a little bit how this may work. Well, let me give you a couple examples here. For instance, I know professional athletes, which, you know, everybody here probably can at least identify in our sports crazed culture uh, just for a moment with a professional athlete, that a professional athlete at some time in their life had a vision to probably be a professional athlete. Even as they become pros, they begin to have a vision for maybe the Hall of Fame or or breaking records or any one of a number of things. So if you can picture in your mind what a professional athlete might be seeing in his particular sports field, you can begin to understand how passion is translated. Let me give you an example. Larry Bird. Larry Bird was in my era of great NBA basketball stars. And I know for a fact that he would get up every morning before breakfast and he would shoot 500 free throws every morning before he would eat breakfast he would go out and shoot 500 free throws not just through his junior high years not just through his high school not just through his college not even through all of his pro career i mean his whole life was 500 free throws every morning most people don't realize tiger woods is there anyone that does not know tiger woods Tiger Woods will probably be the most prolific, over-the-top professional golfer that has ever uh, graced the stage. He started golfing with his dad at two and a half years old. He starts his practice routine at 4.30 a.m. every morning. These are just two notable figures that I'm aware of. It takes uncommon desire It takes what we would call a passion to begin to achieve what it is they were seeing. You see, everybody wants the fruit of the vision. Everybody wants the fruit of whatever it is they're they're, they're seeing. If you're seeing a better day in uh, in your job situation, you want the fruit of that. You want want that job to come. If If you need more resource, you begin to see you prospering and you see raises. Well, you want to see the fruit of that. You want to see the... The, the money comes, show me the money. I mean, if you want better relationships, if you, if you want a better family, a better marriage, whatever it may be, whatever you're seeing out there, everybody wants the fruit of that vision. But few want to demonstrate the passion it will take to fulfill it. 
Now, I want to talk about this in, in, in more spiritual terms. Let's say, let's say you've got a vision for being whole. You just, you just, you're just sick and tired of being sick and tired. You're tired of being discouraged. You're tired of being depressed. You're tired of just being, you're just, you're just, you're just twisted into knots on the inside. You've got to begin to see, not only see that, you've got to begin to have a passion to get to that wholeness. Maybe you have a vision for your freedom, a vision for your health, a vision for prosperity, a vision for peace of mind, a vision for joyful living. Whatever it is you have a vision for, it's great that you see a preferable future, but has it manifested to the place you will run for it. He who reads it may run with it. Is there a passion to see that thing come to pass. Now, why is that important? Why is passion important? Because passion is the difference between those who play around with a thought and those who apprehend it. I've had the privilege of, of 30 years now, just nearly 30 years of being in the ministry. And I've had the privilege of, of being able to interact with people, getting involved in their lives. I've counseled many, many people through these 30 years. And so... As I begin to say this, I'm not saying this as a rookie or a greenhorn. I mean, I've been, I've been looking at people across my desk for a lot of years. And I can tell you that, that for me, it's always good to be optimistic. I'll always be optimistic with people. Everybody wants optimism. Everybody needs hope in their life. But I can tell you almost instantly... Those who will succeed in what they are trying to attain and those who will fail. I can tell you almost instantly just by virtue of their passion. In fact, I define passion as an uncommon desire. An uncommon desire. We all have desires, but the key to passion is it's an uncommon desire. And that's why I believe the Spirit of God would want me to use the phrase today that I think we all could identify with. How bad do you want it? I mean, how bad do you really want it? I mean, to be candid with you, passion could almost be described as an obsession. Now, obsession has been used in our culture almost as a dirty word. Because we all know that people who are obsessed, we've met people that are obsessed with just crazy things. They have these obsessions. They have these, these out of balance things that are just crazy. And so obsession is almost like a, a, a naughty or dirty word. But I want to redeem that word this morning. That, that whatever it is you see as your preferable future, you've got to get obsessed by it. There's got to be an uncommon desire. There's got to be a passion, a fire that begins to well up in you, that begins to propel you or give you the energy to keep moving towards that thing that God has given you to see. You see, if you want to be free from something, you've got to be obsessed with finding the key. You see, right now, if you would say to yourself, well, I've got a few areas of my life that probably aren't where they need to be. They aren't in order. They cause me difficulty and problems. And I want, I want to be free. I'd really like for this to change. Listen, you can like and want and think about it all you want. Are you or are you not obsessed with finding your answer? You've got to get passionate. If you want success, you've got to get passionate. If you want wholeness, you have to have an uncommon desire of finding the reason. 
Listen, you can come get counseling from the pastor. You can, you can get wisdom and insight and opinions from your friends. But I'm going to share something with you. That if, that if we have to drag you into your freedom, you're not going to ever get free. If we've got to somehow cajole you and beg you and leverage you and pry you and just somehow try to get you to be free, you won't get free. You gotta want it. You gotta want it. Nobody can make you want it. I have learned this through the years. That, that as a pastor, I want everybody to have God's best. I want you to be successful. You heard me. I want you to prosper. I want you to be rich. I want you to enjoy life. I want you to have great families. I want you to have great marriages. I want that for you. But my wanting it won't get it to you. You've got to want it. And my question is, how bad do you want it? I mean, we've done encounters now for four years. And we've tried everything to get people to come to encounter. And we've even had people, we pay their way. We, we, we call them in the morning to make sure the alarm went off. We, you know, we, we, we remind them ten times. We, we drive them to the event. And then they go through encounter. And then they walk out and we wonder why they're not free. They didn't want it bad enough. That's it. Don't be mad at God. Don't be mad at me. We'll do everything we can do. We will, we will move heaven and earth. But until you want it, it isn't going to happen. And you right now have a, have a vision. Some of you have a vision for your future. We've got some of our college young people back. They've got a vision for their future. They've got a vision for the will of God. Some of you have a vision, like I said, for careers and all these different areas I've mentioned. You've got a vision for your freedom, a vision for your wholeness. But let me tell you about that vision. You won't be begged into it, drug into it. I've watched people, we, good intentions, we try to drag them into the things of God. They'll come kicking and screaming. The whole time as they're kicking and screaming, we're thinking if I could just get them there. If I could just throw them into the atmosphere, maybe God could do something. I'm going to free some folk up. They won't get anything until they want it bad enough. Until they want it. You can't do it. You just can't call every other day. I'm not saying quit calling. I'm not saying quit inviting. I'm not saying these things. God uses these things. I'm just trying to keep you from being frustrated with the world. Until they want it, they'll never get it. No one achieves anything until they want it bad enough. Now, I'm going to give you some important reasons why this is important. Write these down real quick. Number one, I believe passion. Passion is required as the first step to any vision you may have. When people run for political office, and you hear this most often when it's the president of the United States, it is often asked of them, do you have a fire in the belly? People want to know if there's an uncommon desire for you to want that particular office. I don't know why anybody would want that office personally, but I don't have a vision for it. But in order to do that, you've got to have a fire in the belly. Because if you don't have a fire in the belly as President of the United States, you're going to be lunch for this nation. They'll beat you to death in that office. It's a great question though. A fire in the belly. Do, do you have a fire in your belly Right now, if you want something to change in your life, do you have a fire in the belly for it? Is there a fire in your belly for what it is you're seeing as your vision and preferable future? 
Is there this fire in the belly? Or for you, is it kind of like, ah, uh, I could, I could take it or leave it. I guess if God were to do it, it'd be good. It'd probably be a little bit better. It, it'd probably help things out. And yeah, you know, I'm not against it, but I don't, you know, hey, it won't happen. It won't happen. The fire in the belly. Some of you in and here this morning listening to me, you cannot even imagine how much you are loved by me, by God. You cannot even imagine how much the Trace and I root for you and we want the best for you. And, and you cannot even imagine how you're prayed for. You can't even see for yourself the great destiny you have in the will and the heart of God. But until you get the fire in the belly, you ain't going anywhere. That's the first step to any vision. Number two, I believe passion increases willpower. Passion has the ability to keep you from throwing in the towel. When you're passionate about something, it's hard for anything to get you detoured or discouraged. There's willpower in passion. There's an old Garfield quote I kind of like. Anybody have ever may have read Garfield in the, in the Sunday comic section. He's a cat, this kind of lazy cat. And in this Garfield cartoon, it says, my pet peeve is people who won't finish what they started. Therefore, I don't start anything. That's how a lot of folks are. That's my pet peeve. I don't, I don't like people that don't finish. Therefore, I'm not going to get anything started. No sense getting it started. It ain't going to work anyway. Uncommon desire will push you through things that could take others out. It'll increase your willpower. Number three, it'll help keep your focus. Have you ever hung around a person who has a passion for something? It's all they see. It's all they're consumed by. I had a friend in high school, and I, I'm quite sure this was the same with me when it came to soliciting Tracy's affections. But I had a friend in high school, I remember, because you never see it in yourself, you can see it in others better. But this friend in high school had this crush on this girl. And, uh, you know, we were, we were friends and we would hang out together. And I remember when he got this crush, that, that's all he could talk about was this female. Everything. And we'd ride around and do what we do, you know, in high school and hang out. He wanted to talk about this girl. Well, after a while, you're just sick of talking about it. Just saying, I don't, want, I don't want to talk about this girl you like. If you like her, go ask her out. I don't want to talk about it anymore. But he keep talking. You think she'd go out with me? You think she'd like me? You think, you think, you think? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to hear about it anymore. I mean, but, but he had it bad. That's all he could see. It's all he could talk about. It was his passion. It just kept, kept coming out of his mouth. I mean, we could be out playing golf or on the ball field at baseball practice and we'd be shagging fly balls in the outfield and we'd, we'd cross and he'd say, Hey, you think so? So go out with me afterwards. I don't care. We're in a ball game. I don't care. But his passion kept his focus. Why will we do that for our carnal drives? But when it comes to a, a spiritual, powerful, successful vision in God, we get out of focus so easy. It's because we've not learned how to solicit our passion. And here's the interesting part. A lot of people believe that they're really serious and they're uncommonly desirous of the things of God. Well, here's the interesting thing. You can say that. And, and there's no way, there's no way for me or for anyone else to put a yardstick up or some meter on your heart to determine your fervency for the vision that's inside of you, you know, like some passion meter. Now, I know there's some restaurants, you can grab a hold of that thing and they've got a passion meter, you know, and it'll just, you know, I'm not, 
I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about your passion for the things of God. There's no way that I can, I can put a meter up to you to determine those things, but I can, I can begin to give you some indicators as to where your passion is headed or how much of it's going on in you, the proof of your passion. A lot of people want change, but the key to change and passion is that they are inextricably linked together. Listen to me, no change will come to your life unless you want it bad enough. How bad do you want it? You will not see your preferable future unless you get passionate about the change that will have to take place. And there are several ways to tell if you're passionate or not, particularly about your vision. And again, you can write these down. I hope, I hope you carry them for the rest of your life. There's a fruit to passion. You know, passion isn't just being overly emotional. There's a real fruit to it. You, you know, Jesus said you could know a man by his fruit. He didn't say you'd know a man by his words. He didn't say you would know a man just by how excited he was. He said you'd know a man by his fruit. And I believe that there is a fruit to passion. Passionate people can be identified. Let me give you just a couple, probably more, but here's a couple. Number one, if passion is in your life, an uncommon desire, there will be a pursuit. That's one of the indicators of how bad you want it. There is a pursuit. There's a quote that I use from Mike Murdoch that I like and it's stuck with me and it goes like this. You have no right to anything you have not pursued. You've no right to anything you've not pursued. Do you understand that you have no right to a relationship with God if you've not pursued it? That's why the Lord says, seek me while I may be found. The Lord himself wants to be pursued. You know, behind the scenes, uh, just to give you an example, uh, I'll just tell you about Trace. You know, Trace is, is, is a passionate person. She's passionate on a number of levels in her life. But one of the things that I admire about my wife is this, is that she really does want all that God has for her. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that she is on a, a pursuit for everything that God has. And she was up on last Father's Day. She spoke to you last Father's Day about that ungodly belief system that was powerful and helped so many people. Some of you don't know all the story that went on behind it. She told little bits and, and gave you a little glimpse behind it. But she didn't tell you exactly the whole story that took place, but, it, but it's, really, it's really an interesting thing if, if you'll get a hold of this because, because what happened was that she came home from that particular encounter with these other pastor's wives that had challenged her in ungodly belief system. She hit the website that was suggested that she access and she began to work out a way to get the material, get the resources, get, get a, 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 an appointment, all, do all sorts of things in order to follow through with some of the things that were shared with her. Now, Trace tried to call the place in North Carolina. She tried to get an appointment. Nobody would ever call her back. Um, she tried ordering the materials. The materials took a long time to get here. And, uh, and so, anyway, uh, that had to be worked through somehow or another. We found out it was going to cost thousands of, thousands of dollars for her to go, but we were already beginning to figure out how we could how we could save or pull together the amount of money that it would take to go. So we couldn't get the people to call. We were working on getting the money. We are ordering the book. And it's all, it's all kind of fumble-stumbling around. And for most people, I started to think about this. For most people, when they would face those obstacles, that amount of resistance, for most people, especially Christian people, they would have said, well, it just must not be God's will. 
Well, that's one interpretation. The other interpretation is you keep pursuing. You keep pressing. You keep studying. You keep researching. You don't take no for an answer. I'm not going back to the way I used to be. This is too important to let go. They may not return my call, but somebody will return my call. I'm going forward in this. That's, that's what passion looks like. It's not when someone says no, it all stops. You may hear 20, 30, 40 no's. It's that one yes that you've got to press into. For me, several years ago, I decided, I decided this is just one of the areas. I decided that I wanted a spiritual dad in my life. I wanted a pastor in my life. Did I sit around behind my desk here in Charleston and say, Oh Lord, helicopter in. A spiritual dad for me. Oh God, I'm going to sit here. And you're surely going to lead somebody to come to this city and drive down Sam Rittenberg and come to this mall and knock on my glass door and say, I am here to be your pastor. No. In fact, you all are saying, well, that's silly. No more silly than what most people do. If God wanted me to free, I guess he'd free me. Really. If God wanted me to be whole, I guess I'd be whole. If God wanted this, I guess He'd just helicopter it in for me. If God wanted me to do this, He'd just lay it on me. Listen, pursuit, pursuit is what is the key. I had to go on a pursuit. There was no plane ticket too expensive. There was no conference too far away. I saw what I needed. And I decided to go after it. The Bible says, listen, that we're to pursue wisdom. We're to pursue love. We're to pursue righteousness. We're to pursue peace. We're to pursue spiritual gifts. We're to pursue God. We as the people of God are meant to pursue. I pursue people of excellence. I want, if somebody's moving in power, I'll pursue that. Don't give me that worn out cliche that I hear from people. Oh, I I I pursue Jesus. Well, we all pursue Jesus. But what that means for most people is you are a couch potato. You don't get up and do a thing. You're just waiting for Jesus to drop it on you. Jesus take the wheel. Well, you know what? Jesus will take the wheel, but you got to put some gas on the thing. I don't want, you know, you refuse, you refuse to get up and go after it. Pursuit, pursuit will begin to bring about vision. It's one of the indicators. Number two, it's going to require some sacrifice. You can always identify passion by sacrifice. Passionate people sacrifice whatever is required in order to achieve the vision God has painted before them. In Luke's gospel, if you ever want to read this, in Luke's gospel, chapter 9, it really talks about discipleship. And and Jesus said some interesting things here in Luke 9, beginning with 57. He talks about as he's journeying with his disciples, he said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Hallelujah. Follow me. You can get... Listen, this is what always amazed me. It always amazed me how... People were followers of Jesus, but, but I can remember the early days of legacy. And people would come, and we'd be in that old Discount Furniture World warehouse. You remember that? Some of you remember when we were in Discount Furniture World? You remember when it would rain? 
I remember on the right side of the platform when it would rain, there was this gushing that would come down that back wall. And there was a whole section of about 20 people that had to move lest they be baptized right there in the middle of service. And I can remember people going, I just can't, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't do this. I've got to, I've got to have the amenities. I've got to have it just right. I've got to have this and got to have that. And listen, I like the amenities as much as anyone else. And when we got to this facility, I was so happy. And when we get to the next facility, we will be even happier. But what will get us to these different locations is passion. We got to understand that there may be a season we're not going to sleep on a pillow, but we're going to get a rock. But you sleep on the rock and you're passionate to get you with the pillow, the pillow will come. Jesus said uh, to another, follow me. But the guy said, let me go bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. Can you imagine that? And you think Jesus wouldn't offend you. Another said, Lord, I'll follow you, but let me go and bid them farewell. All I want to do is go say goodbye. Jesus said, no one having put his hand to the plow looks back. See, there's, there's, a, there's a sacrifice to this. Jesus, I believe, is talking about the vision for being a disciple. There's a sacrifice to what God has called you and me to do. There's a cost related to following God. I can remember years ago when I first got into, uh, you know, full gospel circles, you know, back in the late 1980s when we called them charismatic churches were, were kind of coming to the forefront and, and uh, you know, people in more uh, mainline denominations would kind of look askance at what we were doing in churches like this because we were just a little bit more energetic, we were a little bit more passionate. And I'll never forget that, you know, I had to leave my denomination. I had $300 in my pocket, had to pack it all in a rider truck. And I had to move across the country in order, in order to participate in what the Holy Spirit was doing. I mean, there was a sacrifice to that. And I'll never forget, finally, when God began to open the door and, and life began to settle down and the fruit of all of the sacrifice and all of the pursuing, when the fruit of that began to manifest, I'll never forget that some of my friends from my seminary days would call me on the phone and they would say, hey, Kevin, I hear you're, you know, you're in a large church and, 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 and you're being able to work in the things of the Spirit and God's been talking to me like that and I was just wondering if there's any way you could help me make a smooth transition. I want to say smooth transition, dude. Lay down your net. Whoa, 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 you don't understand. I've got this, I've got that. Then you know what? Then you don't, then there's no passion for this. You're looking for a new gig. You're looking for the happening in place. I, I mean, I, I'm grateful when, when people come and it's a happening place and they want to be a part of it. But I'm telling you, the ones you can count on are the ones that sacrifice along the way. Legacy, this church was built by sacrifice. We didn't have a paper clip to our name. I mean, there wasn't a desk chair, there wasn't a desk, there wasn't a table, there was nothing to our name. We started at Fort Johnson Civic Center. And for those of you that don't know Fort Johnson Civic Center, it's just about a 300 square foot brick thing. Cement block, it's all this little linoleum that was laid in about 1962. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's where it started. I mean, we started with sacrifice. We had to just, we had to get a copier. We just had to get a desk. We had to get a chair. We had to find where we were going next. I mean, I mean, no one really likes 
a furniture warehouse or a mall, but these are the sacrifices you enter into in order to achieve the preferable future. The preferable future. Passion. Is it there? Number three, it'll be revealed. Your passion is revealed by how much energy and time you invest. Whatever you're passionate about, you spend time and energy on. What you desire, you invest in. You see, passion, listen to this, passion reaches. Passion invests the currency of time and energy. And reaching is a sign that you desire something. In fact, several weeks ago I was on the radio station at WTMA with uh, Rocky D and he asked a question while we were on the radio there talking about some of the problems we've been having in our area of certain ministries and ministers that had fallen because of just, you know, lack of character and lack of integrity. And so we were talking about that. We were talking about uh, how you identify sort of a fly-by-night ministry or uh, a non-integral ministry or an uncredible ministry. And so we were talking about these things, and, and he was asking me the question, what makes a minister? He was asking this question, what makes a minister? And as we began to talk about it, I remember that he stopped me for just a moment and he pointed to the fact that, I, that he said, but you, you know, Pastor Baird, you'd gone to school somewhere, You've, you, you went to seminary, you were ordained, you have, you, have, you have some papers that people can check on, they could do a background check on you. And I said, that is true. And I don't think that you have to have those things. In fact, I believe you absolutely don't have to have those things in order to be in the ministry. But people know that anyone who has a vision for that should have spent some time, some energy, and some dollars investing into it. I mean, I mean, ministry isn't just something you do because you can't do anything else. I mean, there are all sorts, of, and that's why we kind of have what we have today. I mean, there are people who are great in the corporate world, and they come into the church, and they begin to do their corporate thing in the church. And I'm not saying things don't grow or expand or all these things, but that don't mean it's a church. So, so there's a time and an investment. I mean, you've got to learn. You've got to rewire. There are things. I mean, you wouldn't want me. I mean, I mean, really, do you want me like after a week? Let, I just take a week seminar on surgery. And let me try it on you. I mean, you wouldn't let me do that to your car. So, so you've got to understand there's an investment of energy and, and time. What's your vision? And are you making an investment in that? If you want a promotion at work, what kind of investment are you putting into that? Uh, if you have a vision for ministry, what kind of investment are you making to that end? If you have a vision for your relationship, what kind of investment are you making? Investment of time and energy indicates your passion. And then finally, number four, I wrote down here just another indicator is that it will endure attack and opposition. Passion has the ability to cause you to be impervious. I'm not saying you won't know what's happening. It may, it may still sting, but you won't stop just because somebody attacked or opposed you. I mean, if it weren't for people like Wilberforce in England, who in the 18th century had a vision to end slavery in the United Kingdom, Wilberforce spent his whole, that was his lifetime vision of ending slavery in the UK. It took him his life, it took him moving through personal attacks and slanders and he had to press through all of these things until the day finally came 
They outlawed it through the parliament that slavery was no longer going to be considered acceptable in the United Kingdom. The Wesley brothers, John and Charles, they had opposition. John had, John had all sorts of political opposition in America. The governor of Georgia was irritated with John Wesley because Wesley made a stand with regards to his life and his morality and his lifestyle and wouldn't serve him communion. And he got irritated at Wesley. And Wesley even had to go back to England for a season, but he came back to America because the vision wasn't going to stop him. Charles Wesley, most people don't know this, Charles Wesley was actually threatened uh, with, uh, with killing. He was, he was threatened, his life was threatened, actually. These, these people had to endure oppositions and attacks in order to spring forth what would become the mighty Methodist movement. You oftentimes hear me speak of Charles Whitfield, the personality of the Great Awakening that this nation has ever known. He was the personality. I'm telling you, he was thrown in jail more times than you can count for preaching the gospel. A lot of times he was thrown in jail by his own clergyman, friends. Can you imagine in the day we live in if a clergyman gets thrown in jail? That would toast your ministry. They would say, look at, look at his reputation. It's shot. Look at his reputation. It's gone. Let me tell you something. We're, we're going to have to get tough on this because some of us may go to jail because of righteousness. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The vision, though, the vision was more important than even reputation. It will endure the attack and endure the opposition. So I believe, as I said last week, that, that legacy has, has you know, uh, uh, been diligent and tenacious and we have pressed through and I believe we're in the dawn of a new day. Amen. I mean, a season of favor. But listen, seasons of favor are there, but seasons of adversity are there. It doesn't matter whether they're patting you on the back and saying, attaboy, or whether they're throwing things at you, saying to get out of town. It is your passion that keeps the vision moving forward. It doesn't matter, listen to me, if your friends are cheering you on in your faith or if your friends are hindering and trying to draw you back, it's your passion that will keep you going forward. It doesn't matter what family and friends and, 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 and parents, and I mean, they're all well-meaning people. Believe me, everybody's well-meaning, but it is your passion that will get you to your vision. How is your passion this morning? You're passionate about what God has spoken to you about. Are you pursuing and undaunted in your vision? Are you pursuing your relationship with God? You know, it's interesting in, in Mark's gospel, chapter 10, and I'm going to end with this. I'm going to tell one last story, but I'm going to end with this. In Mark 10, 28, listen to this. I always like this passage. Jesus had just mentioned to the crowd he said that it was a hard thing for a rich man to enter in the kingdom of god not because he was rich but because oftentimes riches consume who we are they get in the way of our pursuit of what's right and so he said it's easier for the camel to go through an eye of a needle than the rich man to enter into the kingdom of god and verse 28 peter pipes up and and he's wanting and he's wanting an affirmation he says to the Lord, see, we have left all and followed you. So that's what Peter wanted. Peter wants the Lord to say, you're, you're it, Peter. And Jesus answered and said, as surely I say to you, there's no one who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers 
or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels. Who shall not receive a hundredfold. What does that say now? In this time. Houses and brothers, sisters, mothers, children, lands with persecutions. Glory to God. And in the age to come, eternal life. This is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I know, I, I understand. You have, you have sacrificed. You have pursued. You've invested time and energy. You've done all these things for the vision. He said, I want you to know. It's, it, it, he says, it's going to be worth it all. He says, it's going to be absolutely worth it all. Because you wanted it badly. He said, now there's going to be challenges, but, but I'm telling you, it'll be worth it all if you'll enter into it. I want to, and I just want to end with this. Because I was thinking about how bad do you want it? And, and as I was praying this morning, oftentimes it'll work this way. I, I'll write my notes out, but oftentimes God will talk to me those last few moments on Sunday morning. Some of you may remember this years ago, there was a, there was a, female, there was a female marathon runner that I believe was running the Boston Marathon. And she had gone the distance. She had run her 26 plus miles. And she was coming into the finish line. And it was obvious. It was obvious by watching her. That she had reached the end of her physical capacities. In, in fact it looked as if she would kind of entered into sort of a, a, a haze. She, she wasn't altogether there. What's the word I'm looking for? She just kind of. She's just kind of out of it. You could tell by the way she was running. She wasn't running straight. She was kind of just running. They, they thought she was probably dehydrated. They thought that the 26 miles had taken its toll and she was just collapsing. The body couldn't take it anymore. And I'll never forget, she was just kind of walking and it was crazy and her knees looked like they were just rubbery. And she was, she was, just, she was just rubbery. And, and, and even the commentators were saying, somebody needs to help her. Somebody needs to do something to, to help that, that lady. And all of a sudden, as she's running along, she collapses on the ground. And as she's collapsing on the ground, you can see people really don't know what to do quite yet. And you may not be able to see, but, you, you know, but she's on the ground. And she just starts doing this. And I'll never forget it on the tooth. There was, there was somebody that came out of the crowd and wanted to pick her up. And she kept going. And everybody was standing around her. And she kept pushing them off and pushing them off. I'm sorry I'm stirred by this. But to, despite all that was going on inside of her, there was something in her that said... That finish line is more important to me than even what I'm feeling right now. Can you hear the, can you hear the people? I can hear them saying, you, you don't have to do this. Come on, we, 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 we can help you. You don't, you don't have to do this anymore. And she's going, get away from me. Get away from me. I'm getting to the finish line. It's what I've seen. That's all I see is that finish line. Come on, people will think you're crazy. You might even kill yourself. I don't care. I don't, I don't care. All I can see is this finish line. That's why Jesus said, it is not 
to Him who runs the swiftest. It is Him who runs to the end. It doesn't matter that you are up on the starting line. It only matters if you get to the finish line. I want to ask, I'm just asking some of you, if, if you're at the place where you can't take it anymore, are, 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 and I know some of you are hearing, you don't have to, you, you, you don't have to do that. Nobody's requiring that of you. Nobody would think any less of you. Are you to the place where you can say, get out of here. I'm going to the finish line. I'm going to the finish line. You don't know how many times people have looked at me and said, you don't got to run a church like that. You don't have to pastor like that. You don't have to preach like that. You can just, you can, you can, no one's going to think any less of you. Get out of here. Get away. Get away from me. All I see is this finish line. That's how you know when you, when you really want it. You see, because if she would have stopped, they, everybody would have understood. But we wouldn't be talking about her this morning. But it's because she drug her way through the finish line. And listen, she wasn't the first one. I don't know, she might have been the 500th one. But she's the one we'll forever remember. Not because she was all that, but because she wouldn't give up she wanted it that bad she wanted it that bad where's your passion level this morning how bad do you want it how bad how bad do you want your freedom how bad how bad do you want to be whole how bad do you want to be right before god how bad how how bad do you want to see the will of god take place in your life I know people are frustrated and they say, why isn't God working, working? Well, the question to the Lord to you is, how badly do you want it? With everything going around you, are you willing to say, I'm not going to, I'm going to be, I am, I am focused on that finish line. Stand with me, will you please? Do we have enough musicians, Laura, that we can get them up here right now as I'm praying? I want every head bowed, every eye closed. I want you right now just to get before the Lord. I'm coming your way. Right now, I want you just to open up your heart right before the Lord. And I want passion to begin to be stirred in you again. So for some, life will never be any different until you decide you want it that bad. Some of you would move heaven and earth for a sporting event. You would move heaven and earth to get your child to an event that they had. You would move heaven and earth to get to work on time. You would move heaven and earth to do a thousand things, but you won't move heaven and earth for the thing that will cause you to be most successful in the eyes of God. And it's time to get our passions reprioritized. time to want that picture we see really 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 bad you, you see it you could write it down you could put it on your refrigerator but the key is will you run with it will you run with it and this morning before we go i believe god's just soliciting our passion again one thing i know about this church is we are passionate people we are and we do not apologize for our passion i don't apologize i'm a passionate person with the things of God. 
There are other options, I understand, all over America. And people can choose those options, but I want to be passionate in my pursuit. I want to dwell with passionate people. Everyone might not jump into that, but I tell you what, you don't need many. And you can make a difference. How about it? Are you passionate? I don't want to drag you into the things of God. We're not going to somehow, somehow just sort of syrup, syrupy, make it candy coated and just hope maybe you'll latch on because there's a benefit. I want you to know I am, I am aiming after your passion this morning. I want you to want the things of God bad. I want it bad. Holy Spirit, thank you this morning that through these simple little pictures and statements and words that I can bring, that you use it to do things in your people's lives. Lord, I am ever so cognizant of the fact that it is you, it is you that needs to work and restore the passion. And Lord, I ask this morning for those that have lost their passion, maybe they've lost their first love, that it would be renewed today. Maybe there are some who would say that they're neither hot nor cold. They're just kind of in that warm, tepid middle. But they're saying, today's the day I want to turn the flame up and cause my passion to be renewed for the things of God. Lord, I believe destinies are at stake. I believe futures are at stake. I believe in your heart and in your mind there are some amazing, incomprehensible, uh, hensible things that are, are uh, beginning to take place. But it'll never happen until we get passionate. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would do that. That we would say yes. Yes, Lord, restore the passion. Restore the fervency. Restore the zeal. For some, it'll be restoring it like it was on those first days and weeks that they met you. They were just fervent. For others, it's, it's a brand new thing, but Lord, it needs to happen. Lord, do it. It's what's going to propel them and your church forward. Are you open right now for the Lord to do that in your life? Holy Spirit, do your work. Just... just stand in his presence here for just a moment it says that those that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength they will mount up with wings as eagles they will run and not be weary they will walk and not faint see I'd say some hearts are beating right now and that's God restoring your passion it's like the cadence of your very heart is starting to increase. And that's God increasing your passion right now. How bad do you want? I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way. I'm coming your way.
I cut you all loose now, I'm going to pray for passion to be restored. And some have already slipped out because there was something in the heart that just was drawing them. So if you want to come join these that have slipped out, I want you to come because I'm going to pray right now that God restores passion. An uncommon desire. Uncommon desire. Just gather before Him. We just come into the wells, the altars we call them of the church. Because every now and then you just need, you just need the, the, the stoking of the fire of God in your heart again to get passionate about what you're seeing. Passionate about what you're seeing. I want to give everyone a chance. Come on, don't, don't, don't miss a chance of God igniting you maybe this morning like you've never been ignited before. It can happen. It can happen. To renew your fervency. Hallelujah. We bless you, Lord. Come on, if you're down front, I don't care whether you're kneeling or you're standing, I want you just to kind of lift your arms to the Lord in the congregation. You may want to do this too. Just, just begin to be an open vessel. I'm going to ask that God pours in renewed passion, zeal, and fervency. Not just to be passionate for passion's sake, but in order that you might accomplish that preferable future. Lord, right now, with arms uplifted high, Lord, we open our lives to you. Come on, you can just agree with me right now. Just agree and just say, Lord, I'm agreeing with pastor right now. I'm linking up. If any two agree on earth is touching it in heaven, it shall be done. Lord, I just lift my hands and my arms up to you as an open vessel. Lord, would you pour in your passion? Would you pour in the zeal of the Lord? The fervency of spirit. Lord, that causes me to want what it is you placed before me bad. I want it bad. Lord, we push off the sounds and push off even the well-intended voices around us. We may be exhausted. We may be dehydrated. We may be worn out. But the finish line is too close to stop now. The finish line is is within my sight. I've run too far to turn around now. I've run too far to quit now. I am going to the end. Come on, hear the words of the Lord that said there'll be no one who hasn't given up houses and lands, mother and father and sister and brother and all the things that would not be restored 100-fold now. Now, I'm telling you, you are just a block. Some of you aren't more than a block away. You've run your 26 some odd miles and you're a block away from your finish line. And you are wanting to toss in the towel and I'm telling you, don't. I'll be the voice that will look and tell all the voices around you, let them go. Don't touch them. They're going to make it. They've got to want it. They've got to want it. It doesn't matter if you're beat up and you're bloody and you're bruised. It does not matter. 
Lord, restore that fervency. Restore that passion. Lord, let it not be said just of professional athletes or celebrities or entertainers that their passion is amazing. Lord, let it be said of your church that their passion is amazing. Their fervency is contagious. Their uncommon desire, Lord, would leave a legacy for those who come behind to follow in their footsteps. And Lord, I pray now in the name of Jesus that it be restored in hearts that are gathered here. It's being restored now in Jesus' name. Rekindled now in the name of Jesus. Here's the good news. You can can stand up when this is all said and done. And you can begin to implement everything I said. You can begin to pursue. You can begin to sacrifice. You can begin to invest your time and your energies. You can begin to identify your passion. I'm telling you, greatness, listen to me now, greatness exists in this room this morning. That's what Jesus said concerning John the Baptist. He said that, that, he, would be, that he would be great in the eyes of God and in the eyes of men. Now, it's nice to be great in the eyes of men, but it's better to be great in the eyes of God. And I'm telling you, there is greatness in this room may not feel great this morning maybe your track record isn't all that great but I'm telling you if you'll let greatness arise in you with your passion God will lead you to the great thing I don't care if people know your name or if they don't know who you are I don't care if you were with us on the first service seven years ago or if you just wandered your way into this service this morning I'm telling you greatness is in this room today And the only thing that stands between where you are right now and the greatness of God that's before you is the question, how bad do you want it? Say, I can't do it. That's the good news. That God will do it through you, but you've got to give Him some zeal and fervency. Let Him him work with something in there. Lord, I thank You right now that You are raising up notable people in the kingdom. I thank you that right now in these everyday ordinary folks that have come to legacy, that you are raising up notable, noteworthy people in the kingdom. There are nation shakers, world changers. Lord, I thank you now that even though there might be some who feel like that they're almost taken out of the race, that Lord, right now you're you're just infusing them with power. To enable them to stand up and finish the race. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that the vision may yet be for an appointed time. And we will wait on it. But, Lord, we're running with it. We're running with it. We're running with it. And, Lord, thank you this morning that you're going to cause us to be good finishers. Good finishers. I want you just to say before the Lord, make a confession right now before the Lord. Just you and the Lord right now, but you got to say it out loud with your own voice. You've got to say it. Say, Lord, I'm committing to you. I am a finisher. I am a finisher. I'm not throwing in the towel to this race. I'm not giving this race up. 
I'm not listening to the voices around me to say, give it up. Nobody will care. I am going to cross the finish line. I am unstoppable. I am unshakable. My legs may be wobbly, but you didn't say he with the straightest legs wins. It's he who endures to the end. I am a finisher. I will run the race. I will finish the course. Come on. Your crown is the well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's your crown. It'll be worth it. I'll assure you, it'll be worth it. So Lord, seal it now in the hearts of everybody here that's interceding. Lord, let not one go without being able to say, I sense the Spirit of God upgrading my passion levels. Thank you, Lord, that you're accomplishing that in us as a body, that we are going to reflect that as a church. Passionate Christianity going all out for all that you have for us. Lord, bless this people. They are a good and honorable people. Lord, they've done so many wonderful things through the years. I pray right now that, Lord, as I have declared the word to them and as they have responded, Lord, with their zeal, Lord, now I ask that you who are faithful to your word would begin to outpour on them the hundredfold restoration blessing of what you said, that there would be no one who would sacrifice anything that you would not, Lord, come back and reward 100-fold now. Lord, you are a debtor to no man. Whatever it is we think we've given up, you're a debtor to no man. And you'll restore, you'll compensate more than enough. So Lord, we receive that as well. And we call ourselves in you blessed. Blessed. Come on, everyone, say, I'm blessed. Sure you Say it one more time like you mean it. I am blessed. Yes. Come on, I'm no less than blessed. I don't, don't, don't you worry. Say, you don't know what God's asking me to let go of. I, it's gonna burn up anyway. You are no less than blessed. No less than blessed. Lord, let us go from this place with a renewed sense of victory. Victory. That we're winners, not losers. We are finishers, not quitters. That Lord, we will press through with our passion for you intact in Jesus mighty name can you say amen come on can we give him some passion can we give him a little passion can you do every day can you do every day listen to me you have to switch every day every day every day come on before we go we gotta give him a little passion right
touch your world in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen. You are released. God bless you. We'll see you in the middle of the week.